Before I get to my next guest, Frank Nabilo, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Shrixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Shrixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Shrixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel, Shrixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Shrixon offers a wide variety of personalized options while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Shrixon. Check them out online at Shrixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now back in making his fourth appearance with me is CBS golf analyst Frank Nabilo. Let me remind you about Frank's background. He's from Auckland, New Zealand. At the age of 18, he won the New Zealand Amateur Championship, becoming the second youngest player ever to win that title. He turned pro in 1979. His first professional win came at the 1982 New South Wales PGA Championship. He won the New Zealand PGA Championship twice in 1985 and 87. He joined the European Tour in 1985 and got his first win on that tour at the 1988 PLM Open. Frank finished in the top 50 in the European Order of Merit every year from 1988 to 1996. In all, he won 14 times around the world, including two Saracen World Opens and the 1997 Greater Greensboro Chrysler Classic on the PGA Tour. He played on numerous World and Dunhill Cup teams for New Zealand and was a three-time member of the International President's Cup team. In the mid-90s, Frank recorded top 10 finishes in all four majors, including a fourth-place finish at the 1996 Masters, a ninth-place finish at the 1994 U.S. Open, which Eric talked about just a moment ago, 10th at the 1997 Open Championship, and 8th at the 1996 PGA. So you can see, from 1994 to 1997, Frank was one of the best players in the world. He joined the Golf Channel in 2004 and was a lead analyst for their PGA Tour coverage, plus their in-studio shows Golf Central and Live From. And now he's a fantastic analyst for CBS Sports, and I'm honored he is back again with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Frank, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, uh, I, I tell you, keep um, saying things like that. I, I'm, I'm going to have to do it more than four times. It's almost embarrassing. <laughs> Thank you. And as for Eric, he's now part of my PR. He's actually the head of my PR team. Um, I just, I heard the whole thing. I, I, I'm a jack. I'm everything. I apologize for the allergies if I sound a little bad, but um, yeah. No Thank, you. Thank you. Absolutely. Frank, you do such a great job. I always love watching you do a golf tournament and you take the Masters tournament and you paint the pictures and, and the analysis you do takes it to a whole nother level. Um, talk about what you saw this past week and what stuck out to you. Well, 
I don't want to hog up the whole show. Um, as soon as Tiger Woods first said he was going to play, it was going to be different. Um, I tried to stay on Sunday. There was a brief moment. I said, you know, there was two races. There was Tiger Woods, you know, basically running a marathon and trying to finish. And then there was a sprint for the finish. You know, Cameron Smith and Scotty Scherfler and actually at the end, Rory McIlroy. But, um, you know, I know people often think we do too much with Tiger Woods, but it, it was heroic. I, you know, I, I played with him in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s before I stopped. But, you know, and I gave up for injury, so I know what it's like. But what he went through, and just at 71 on day one, he beat half the top 10 players in the world and he hadn't played for 500 days. So I don't know what that is in anyone else's book, but that was, that was monumental. So, so he got it off, you know, he basically was the curtain raiser and obviously we still had to keep watching that show. And then it reminded me also of the, the 90, early 1990s. I was watching Golf Channel. Um, my previous employer on, uh, earlier on the week and they had, uh, the 91 and the 92 Masters. And in those days, you always just used to look at who was the hottest player that year. Ian Wisdom, number one in the world, coming in, 191. Fred Couples was playing his best golf ever, 190-92. So I remember, um, doing uh, Mad Dog Radio on the Wednesday and, and Chris Russo was asking and I said, same thing. Reminds me of the early 90s. Uh, you know, would you rather have a hot hand, Scotty Sheffield, Cameron Smith, are the two best players in the world right now this year? I'd be surprised if they didn't contend. I didn't know they were going to win, you know, and basically take the show the whole way, but I thought it was incredible. You know, we had, we had cold, blustery conditions. People often focus on how hard the course is, but it was, it was if, if you're a golf aficionado, it was a great master. Frank, as we talk about Cam Smith, if you look back over the last year, he's had a tremendous 12 months. I mean, he made a run at the Northern Trust last year, obviously a huge victory at the Players' Championship, and then really contending until the back nine here at the Masters. But I'm not sure enough people are aware of what a great career he's had to this point. Talk about how great a player he is. Well, I first saw him, Chris, in uh, in Thailand for the Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship. I'm fortunate to... Um, call that initiative with Augusta National. And that was the year that Guan Tinalong won. Matter of fact, Hideki Matsuyama stayed professional. Sorry, stayed amateur. He was trying to win the event for the third straight time. And he was beaten by a 14-year-old kid in Guan, who was still the youngest, to play the weekend at Augusta National. And I met the Australian team. And there's a, there's a little story, you know, that all the guys, um, get to basically take a picture with the chairman. And the chairman was Billy Payne. Jim and Billy Payne, and uh, Cameron Smith, who was a little weedy guy, probably the lightest guy on the Australian side, you know, he basically said he didn't want to sit in the back row. He wanted to stand right next to Jim and Payne. He said, because this is where I'm going to be. It was 10 years ago. I followed him ever since. Our producer, now Salah Shai, also produced that. So he's kept an eye on him, and, and he, I hate the word overachieve, because it, it sounds like someone's um, playing beyond their station. He's just continually got better, and he's got hard. Um, as is Scotty Scheffler. You know, Scotty Scheffler, huge amateur career, but to answer your question on Cameron Smith, he, he's, he's, he's playing in a time when so much focus is on equipment and the ball going too far. He just gets out and plays. When you see the way in which he won the Players' Championship, even his speech afterwards, people were trying to put words in his mouth, and he has the same attitude that a Tiger Woods and Nick Felder or Jack Nicklaus had, which is, I'm just going to play golf. You can talk about how important it is and whatever, but, you know, it's almost like sea ball, hip ball. That's really, really hard to do in big moments. That's what he does. Frank, I was talking to Eric a little bit ago about guys and their decisions for how they're going to play 12 
on Sunday. We've seen so many players have an opportunity to win the Masters when their ball ends up at the bottom of Rays Creek. I I understand that the flag looks so inviting over there on the right-hand side. It seems like the plane. We've seen, we saw Jack Nicholas do this. We've seen Tiger Woods do this. The plane, regardless of where the flag is, is to hit the ball over the trap, take your three, and move on and continue the charge on 13, on 15, et cetera. But guys keep going for that 10. And I know you played there several times. What What's it going to take for players to understand even though it looks nice, I can't. I can't shoot at that flag. Yeah, it's it's a great question. There's there's actually not an easy answer there, Chris, because you know Cameron Smith was, <laughs> excuse me, make you know the tremendous three that Eric had just referred to on eleven. So it was game on again. And Eric's also right about what happened at three. It looked like Cameron Smith was going to take the lead. So it was that yin yang approach, and he stood on that tee, and it was a nine iron, and the breeze was off the right a little bit into into so it actually sets up well for him but he waited for the guys off 13 um nick faldo referred to that actually it was just a wait and and you're right they're not trying to do anything crazy you know jordan speed made another triple there on friday this year right and that's actually the biggest biggest mistake i've made on tv i was doing both cbs and golf channel and when jordan was coming through and it was mentioned by jim nance you know the lead that he had in 2016 when um when danny willett won and it was a you know, foregone conclusion. He was going to win back-to-back Masters. And he stood on 12, and I was basically, I'll be honest, I was getting my paperwork ready. I'm like, okay, he makes three, four here, maximum. I'll go back. I'll start getting ready for the live prom show. And, um, you know, we're going to christen uh, Jordan speak for the second straight time. I never thought it would come down to that. I never thought he would make consecutive mistakes on the 12th. And that's a guy that was at the height of his powers. So it just does crazy things. Was 160 yards on Sunday. It was a perfect nine iron, really, for um, for you know for Cameron Smith. He had just made a birdie. He was in the right frame of mind. I think his, his the shot he was trying to do was sort of aim at the flag and let the ball draw back over the bunker. There's a 12 yard gap over that front bunker if you if you look at the middle of the green. So you have about a club to work with, and it's just he just made the worst swing at the worst time. And 12 has that effect on people. It's it's I don't know. It's mesmerizing. You see the pines. You I remember years ago when I first played there, I was always told, look at the flag at, at 11 all week because of that west wind. The west wind is the hard one blowing from the north. That's why there was no eagles at 15. It was blowing into the people's faces. That's also why 11 played brutally hard. There's only nine birdies at 11 all week. Um, you stood on that and there's that puff of breeze and, and you get that eddy effect. The breeze, you, know, you look at the 11th flag, it goes one way. You look at the 12th and it, it was actually blowing left to right. So you get goosed. You could, if you listen really carefully, and we laid out for that, it's Caddy's trying to tell him exactly where the wind is. But your eyes deceive you. You look up and you see a flag going the other way. So, you um, you know, if you make a player uncomfortable, it doesn't matter how good they are, uh, they they tend to make mistakes. And um, that's the beauty of the golf course. You don't see water for 10 holes. You see it on 11, 12, 13, 15, and 16. And that's why it changes there. It's... it's Bobby Jones got it right when he was trying to uh, get the golf course and they flipped the nines. Originally, that was the front nine. I don't know whose idea that was. But when they flipped the nines, I don't know, they just created magic. And the more they play, the harder it is for someone trying to win the Masters because you've just seen what happened. And it's hard. You know, we call it ghosts or whatever or memories. Players fight those. And it's, uh, you wouldn't want it any other way, but it's, it's, it's cruel. And you're, 
you saw the look on Cameron Smith's uh, face. It was just pain. You know, it was just straight pain. Yeah, sad to see. Is that the play? If you look, if you're standing on the on 12 T, to really not pay attention to what the flag is doing on 12, to just pay attention to what the flag is doing over on 11. Well, you know, you, you normally the the caddies will go out with the wind sheet. They knew that the breeze was blowing from the west, right? So they got it written in their book. They know it's coming. Just you know, probably at about you know one or two o'clock when you're looking at that tee. So you know that, but then you know you wait because 13 there was a hold up. So he's waiting for people to you know come down off the tee. So he couldn't just stand up there and hit it. And of course, the more you look at it, you start looking like, well, hang on, the breeze is blowing this way, or it's the other is blowing that way. And and you you almost find a way to hit a bad shot. Um, that's not the only course that does that to you, but it's just it's at the wrong time. You know, he just made a great birdie, and Scotty Scheffler made a great putt for par. You can't say enough about that. So he knew that he couldn't just hit it in the middle of the green. In hindsight, obviously he should have, especially because Scotty hit such a bad shot, really. And but it, you know, it finished halfway up the hill and ran down. That could have stuck up the hill. Um, but you know, that's Scotty still did the right thing. He made sure he did not go right at the play. Well, sorry, did not go right at the middle of the green. The Jack Nicklaus way, the Tiger Woods way, as as you alluded to in 2019, is you aim at the middle bunker. And I looked at that. I went down there when I checked the flag. And if you're in the, if you're in that front bunker, it's a relatively straightforward bunker shot, given the conditions, of course. Back bunker's no good. So Jack Nicholas would always aim at the middle bunker. If he come up a little short, the worst he was going to do was make four. Back bunker, same thing. So he had a club and a bit to play with. But hey, these guys play such aggressive golf week in, week out. They get a golf course like that. They do not want to play layup golf. Um, it's hard. You know, they've got to break a habit. So that's what's, that's what's good about it, in my opinion. And Frank, Rory McIlroy electrified the patrons on Sunday with his final round 64, highlighted by that sand shot that he made on 18, and then Morikawa right on top of him. But for Rory, is that something that he can use as something to put in the memory banks? I shot 64. I played my best round ever at Augusta National that he can ride into next year, or is that just too far off and you can't really do that? And it's, it's just one great round. But next year is just going to be completely different. Um, I think it's both. I think next year will be different. But but in the back of his mind, he he now knows he can shoot sixty four on Sunday. He now knows he can do that, <clears throat> and that he didn't know that before. And it might have you know he could have nearly stolen that. It would have been so different to his other four majors. It's a bit like oddly enough, Tiger Woods in two thousand and nineteen. That's the first major he's ever won from behind. So if Woods it happens to get his game back, for example, like St. Andrews, and he's there and he's got a chance, you know, and he's a few back on 18, he will, be, with 18 to go, he will believe that because he doesn't have to be a front runner. So, yeah, any athlete's going to take the positive out of that. So Rory now knows whether it's just I went out and played, whatever it is, whatever whatever attitude he had on Sunday, I, I, I think that will defeat the look that we saw of Rory on, on, uh, on Thursday when he actually he looked like he fought well for about 16 holes, and then he wasted what would have been a very solid round. He should have shot 71 or 70 on Thursday. And he spoiled the round, and that's often what he does at Augusta. So there had to be a difference on Sunday, whether he thought he was out of it, whether he thought it didn't matter, but whether he let the course come to him. I haven't seen him yet. Um, and obviously that's what, I, that's what I would ask he and Harry Diamond as caddy. There's, some, there's something there. So he, he will draw from that. Whether that opens up Pandora's box and he 
just win majors again. That's up. That's up to him. Frank, just a couple more before I let you go. And the next major is the PGA Championship, which is played this year at Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm. You guys are going to be covering that event as well. And that's that course has got a lot of rich history. Sixteen championships have been played there. You played there back in '94 at that PGA. As we look ahead to that, is it a one of the things I've heard is it's just as difficult a walking golf course as Augusta National is, and b what what do you expect to see a month from now? Well, the May day, you know, it, you, when I played there, it was like the August day, so it used to be as hot as hell. Um, so I'm curious if May is better if it's milder. So therefore, it's a little more bearable. I remember as a player there, just it's as hot as I've ever been on a golf course. It was under 100 degrees. And I remember doing that in an event as an announcer. I went through three jackets that week, literally. Wow. I mean, I sweated them out. I mean, I had to throw them away. So the heat can be quite oppressive there, which becomes a factor, especially if you're uh, an ailing player or an older player. Um, but I think the way these younger players are playing, you know, if, if one of them prepares well, um, you know, these guys are starting to get a break. I, I heard Hank Haney say it's never been easier. I don't agree with that. I just think it's an opportunity. You know, it's like you know, tennis. I'm a tennis fan as well. Novak Djokovic got beaten today because he hadn't played for five months. So we're seeing the best players in the game play golf and win right now. That makes them dangerous going into major championships. So this is this is opportunity knocks this year because these guys are young. They haven't been beaten. Um, they, they, they're getting used to winning, and they're winning in bunches. So, you know, a confident player or a confident athlete is, is always dangerous. That's what made Woods so good. BJ Singh when he got to world number one, you know, Johnny Miller, you know, Tom Watson. Pick, pick your favorite golfer. When they got hot, they won and they won and they won in bunches. And that's what we're starting to see. What Scotty Scheffler has done already, <clears throat> I think, and it's come at the right time because we all talked about how prolific he was on the corn ferry, obviously his amateur career, but it looked like he'd lost the winning way. Well, he's got that back now. And, you know, when you look at the topsy-turvy way in which he won Augusta on Sunday, that'll only give him confidence. Cameron Smith won a Players' Championship and with a gutty you know, gutty five up 18 and a great shot into 17. You've got a lot of players like that that are, that are, are not scared. So, I, you know, I think, you know, Tulsa is, is, is going to be a great opportunity. Uh, player of the Year is going to be up and up for grabs. You know, Morikawa could quickly get to three majors. He could see a return to Rory, but he's Whoever it is is going to have to shoot, you know, it, it, not just the best score. They're going to have to stand up against some really, really good young players who not who the, who the audience don't necessarily know yet as household names. Frank, I've had an ongoing social media battle with some folks who say that it was easier for Jack Nicholas to win his 18 majors because there were only <laughs> a handful of players that he had to go out there and beat, unlike Tiger, because there are a hundred guys that could win a tournament now, but. I don't buy it. I don't buy that the top 100 in the 60s or the 70s aren't as good as the top 100 now. I mean, I get that the funnel is much bigger because we have more people coming into the game now. But once you kind of get down to the who are the top 100, I don't think that the top 100 now are any better than the top 100 then. Am I wrong about that? No. Well, no. Well, actually, I would say like 50 to 100. I think they're better prepared. You know, the technology. The coaching, um, I, I think generally they swing the club better. That doesn't necessarily mean you've got to have a copybook swing to succeed in this game. We saw that with Scotty Sheffield. He's got some old moves in there. But I think when you go back to the Nicholas era, I remember my uh, country's Bob Charles. There was 10 or 20 guys that used to travel the world. And 
they competed regularly on each other. So, you know, golfers didn't play for nearly as much money, so they all couldn't afford to, to go around the world and play regularly against each other. Now, that's not an issue. So, you know, competition breeds better players, in my opinion. But the, the other thing, when you know, it's very hard to compare generations, in my opinion, because those careers are finished. Jake Nicholas is finished with, you know, 62 wins and, and 18 major championships. Trevino, amazing player. Same thing, one of the greatest players I've ever played with, just his ability to move the ball around. Johnny Melly, you know, Tom Weisskopf, you go through, you know, Tom Watson, you know, then you go back, Byron Nelson, Ben Hogan's. But the game now, with with the way in which technology has been allowed to go, let's be honest with that, you know, if you could, if you, you couldn't hit a long iron, you, you were gone in the 60s. I mean, that was one of the changes this year at Augusta 15. I remember talking to Trevor Immelman, who has that hole, and, I, and he goes, well, you know, people are saying it's, it's not the same. I said, well, they want the same as what Jack Nicklaus had, which is standing on the top of the hill with a one iron, having to hit a shot, like a one iron into a green that big. That green is no smaller than what it used to be. And if you're Jack Nicklaus, I know the green might have been slightly so, and you've got to come up with a shot like that or chip back when he laid up with, you know, when he could have reached. That's what they want to replicate. They have had, this generation's had a little bit of easy street because they've been able to get them with eight, eight irons and seven irons and things like that. So I like some of the changes they've made. They're tough. Generally across the board, if you're not a very good long arm player, you put a hybrid. If you're not a good pitcher or bunk player, you put in a 64 or a 60 degree. So it's much easier, in my opinion, to, to block gaps in your bag that players used to have. That's one of the reasons why Trevino didn't play Augusta for a while until he had a seven board. He thought he just couldn't play there. It was a low ball hitter. So that doesn't really exist now. So now I think there's there's a multitude of ways for people to excel that wasn't there before. I think that's the difference in the generation. Frank, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they're going to be able to see you over the next several weeks and then follow you online. Um, well, I, I have to apologize. I'm not really a, a tweeter per se. Um, I, I, I'm a, I prefer to say to talk to people early. Um, so that, I do have Frank underscore Nobolo, uh at Twitter, I think. Isn't that how it goes? How about that? Um, but we have a foundation, the Novelo Foundation. My wife sort of quarterbacks that. We try and uh, take underprivileged children shopping in Orlando. We're really proud of that. This year is our 20th anniversary, so that's been going on for a while. That's probably the biggest thing that that I want to say. And that, um, yeah, I'll be I'll be pretty much doing everything until the playoffs uh, with CBS, having a great time with them. I think we've got a good team. Well, I don't think I know we do, and um, we're, we're trying to do our best every week for the viewer. We really are top top to bottom. So. Looking forward this week. I'm going to jump in the car tomorrow afternoon, head up to Hilton Head, then it's New Orleans. Uh, you know, we've got Mexico. We're actually going to go to Scotland this year as a team, uh, the week before the Open Championship. That's a co-sanctioned event, so we're really looking forward to that. But like I said, basically every week, with the exception of the U.S. Open, up until the playoffs. You'll be wanting me to get off the air, Chris. You really do. By that time. I can't imagine that ever happening. You're the best, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I hope we get the privilege of catching up again soon. No, my pleasure, Chris. Honestly, what you do and with all your guests and for the game, as I said last time, thanks should be for you, my friend. Take care. Uh, thank you. All right. Take care, Frank. All the best to you and your family. That's a great Frank Navalo. I tell you, it just, it just doesn't get any better than listening to, uh, to Frank's analysis on golf tournaments every single week. Um, I, I mean it sincerely, not just because he comes on the show. Listening to the way that he frames up shots and gives us information about what he sees and what happens out there is, to me, the best in the game. I enjoy listening to him every single week. 
Yeah, he's a tremendous talent. Was a great golfer. Oh, by the way, like I say, when you finish in the top 10 of all four majors, um, that's pretty special. And uh, he's a special talent and a special man. And I look forward to having him back on the show, hopefully again real soon. 